This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at mentollc. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. If you were to ask me exactly how it happened, I'm not 100% sure I could pin down the moment that I agreed to go to boat school. And and I'm I'm pretty sure if you asked 100 men and women exactly when it was they decided that they were going to go to boat school, more than 25% of them could tell you either. I was a screw up. That that's a that's a delightful way of putting it. Most people who knew me as a teenager would say that I was destined for um, a life of hysterical mediocrity. Fortunately for me, I was steered in the direction of a Merchant Marine Academy. When I was getting ready to go to colleges, there was no internet. And we found out about schools either from visits from the universities themselves to college. I guess you'd call them like a, like a college fair. Or you would find out from alumni. Or they would reach out to you. And there was also a gigantic book that would be in the guidance counselor's office. My mom knew about Maine Maritime Academy. And she found out about it from a friend. And when I had not gotten into the universities I had wanted to go to, my mom had applied to a number of schools without my knowledge. Maine Maritime Academy was one of them. I got in. I wanted to play lacrosse there, and they wanted me to play lacrosse there. So there you have it. Now, when I was trying to go to the Merchant Marine Academy, it was not as academically strenuous to get in the Maine Maritime Academy as it is now. It's a totally different world, folks. There, the, the admission standards were a little less strenuous. They would let you in. Um, they would even let you in if you could prove yourself. And there was a number of, of different types of students. There were ones who were absolutely squared away, ready to rock and roll. And there was a lot of kids who had spent most of their lives tinkering with engines, tinkering with marine engines, growing up on lobster boats, growing up down um, down in marinas. A lot of guys who grew up in Navy families, military families. And then there were the rest of us. We were just a collection of clever problem children. But the school was a place where we could find ourselves. It was a place where... All of that chaos could be put into a direction. And most of that direction was with our hands and with our feet. They marched us places. They taught us together collectively how to work in union. They taught us that we had to learn to depend on each other because ships were dangerous places. Uh, They could be at least. But where the ships went were even more dangerous, and that was the open sea. 
things could go terribly wrong there. So you had to listen to people who knew better. You had to trust one another and you had to learn to depend on each other. It wasn't always easy. I'm lucky in that as years have gone by, I've been able to stay very close with a lot of the people I went to school with. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that each and every single person I went off to Castine with was just a joy to go to school with for four years. But damn it, nearly all of them were. And whether it was going to class and having classmates of mine get me through academic challenges or having classmates of mine get me through personal challenges, I always had people there that did exactly that. It was not and is not your typical school. It was not and it is not your typical academic environment. It's built to be a place to safely fail. I think that's the best way I can possibly describe what it was like to be 18 years old on a, I don't know, 500 foot vessel, I think it was. That really was pretty old. Surrounded by people who gave you just enough distance to try and give you things to do that if they broke or it didn't work out, you wouldn't put a bunch of people's lives in danger. There was always someone there watching to make sure it didn't go completely wrong. I complained a lot while I was there. <laughs> but looking back on it, it was wonderful. And now these state academies, and yes, of course, King's Point, heaven forbid we don't mention it, still exist. And they're still the wonderful schools that I grew up in. Maine Maritime Academy also has a function of it that's focused entirely on the logistics industry, as well as marine sciences, small boat operations. They've expanded the, uh, the ideas of what it means to have a marine education. And they've taken the same general attitude, learn by doing, don't just be in the classroom, engage with business, engage with science, get dirty. Don't be afraid because someday you're going to leave this environment, this academic laboratory, and it's not just going to be academic anymore. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by a friend of mine who I've known since I was 18 years old. Um, when I was a freshman, he was a sophomore. And as he'll explain during the podcast today, he took a bit of a break from his studies to go out into the world to find himself, to learn more about what it meant to be a mariner, to get in touch with what it was that he wanted in life, and to come back and seek it. Then he sought it with incredible abandon. From there, he's built a beautiful family with an incredible wife to amazing children who have gone to the academy themselves and have stood out academically, athletically, the really good human beings. He himself has returned to the academy to be the ship's master, to be the man who manages every single input and output you can imagine on that training vessel. He is, if you will, the dean of the sea when it comes time to learn in that floating environment that is the training vessel state of Maine. Captain Gordon MacArthur is, above all things, a good man. He's intelligent, he's bright, he's incredibly funny, and he's clever. And I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Captain Gordon MacArthur, captain of the training vessel, TV State of Maine, Maine Maritime Academy. So this is a, a, a hell of a win for me at the Trade Gig Podcast, although to many of us, it probably wouldn't seem like it because of how close I am to the uh, today's guest. So I wish this was a video podcast because it's almost like it's almost like Gordo has a green screen behind him, and he went to um, and he went to wardrobe. But I'm I'm uh, I am joined today by Captain Gordon MacArthur, and the captain is an important part. So I've had a couple of merchant marine captains on the show. But this is probably going to be the best one. Yeah. So uh, Gordon MacArthur today from Maine Maritime Academy is with us. And Gordon is the uh, Gordon Gordo Mac is the uh, master and the captain of the training vessel state of Maine at Maine Maritime Academy. And I do not want to steal your thunder. You do it a lot more often than I do. Uh, so Mac, if you could just explain what it is that you do for a living now because other than shocking me every time i hear it it's a <laughs> fascinating job my friend well um as you said i am the master of the training ship state of maine for maine maritime academy and uh state of maine is a 500 foot long um 72 foot wide training ship that uh, spends about nine and a half months a year here at Maine Maritime on alongside the dock and provides training here in Castine. And then every May or April, um, depending on the year, either late April or early May, we take off. We bring some tugs in and we tow this thing off the dock and we start the engine up and we head out the bay and go places. So um, the students basically run the ship under the instruction and guidance of uh, professional mariners. And we, last year we did 62 days, um, went down the coast to, um, well, we were, we were supposed to go to Charleston and then Bermuda. We ended up in Charleston, had a big outbreak of COVID on board, including yours truly, and uh, ended up going to Port Canaveral, Florida instead of Bermuda, because Bermuda said they didn't want us. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> and then we went over to the Azores and spent four days there, went up to Iceland, went above the Arctic Circle, um, pulled to Reykjavik for four days, and then came back and cleared customs and, and agriculture inspection in Portland and came back to Castine. So, um, you know, 170, 18 to 22 year olds on board, um, plus professional crew, and uh, I think they all had a good time, so. Um, I know I did on my cruises that I took at Maine Maritime. So uh, a couple of years ago, when the job came open, I decided to apply and I don't know how, but they hired me. So um, I have a great time. I have, as, I have as much, if not more fun than the students do. Um, it's just, a, it's the best job I ever had. Prior to being the ship's master at Maine Maritime Academy, your merchant marine career, how long have you been going to sea prior to that? Well, that's kind of a trick question. Um, as far as being a merchant mariner, uh, I was at sea for 21 years before I took this job. Um, total time at sea is 30 years um, before I took this job. Um, much of that, or eight years of that active duty Coast Guard, um, mostly on buoy tenders. I was enlisted, I was a quartermaster. Um, 
between my sophomore and junior year at Maine Maritime. I took eight years off and went in the Coast Guard. Um, so started in started at Maine Maritime in 1988, finished in 2000. Um, with that eight-year gap uh, for the Coast Guard, I did the program in four years. I just spread it out over 12. So, yeah, I I, I love this story. So, from my perspective, when I was a freshman, when I was a fourth class, and then I guess they don't use that term anymore, do they? They still do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. When I was a, a fourth class, you were your third class, and um, you know, we were friends. We we're very good friends. Yeah. You had academically, they just academically there was no longer a path for you at that time. How about we put it that way? That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, the academic dean called me at home after my second semester fresh or sophomore year and said, "Take some time off. You know, <laughs> go do some stuff." So I did. <laughs> you took eight years off, and then yep. you came. You came back. So how old were you when you came back? I was 28 when I came back and 30 when I finished. And you like destroyed <laughs> academically. <laughs> yes, my my first semester back, uh, my GPA was three times what it was my <laughs> last semester here, sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that's something that most young people don't understand is you, just your, your sense of purpose about learning and focusing. Oh yeah, I mean that, that that significant emotional event in my life at the age of 19, um, when I was asked not to come back, um, has has kind of been um, what's driven me since. And I I, I want to see those. You, I've always thought you learn more from failure than you do from success. So I've always taken that failure, and the failure was entirely mine. Um, <laughs> I've always taken that as uh, as how I how I motivate myself. And I, I use that story all the time with students who are struggling. I'm like, listen, I, I'm proof positive. You can come back and be the master of the training ship. So, you know, if you need to take some time off and get your head right, then, then do that, but, but come back strong and learn from it. So yeah, use quit. the story all the time. So when, when you're on the ship now and you have the benefit of being a student and now being an instructor, what are the big differences when you're, I don't know, when I was there, I never really felt like we were in charge, but looking back on it, we really were. Like, yes. What are the differences that you feel? What are the, what are the things that you can give us as far as color commentary from being in the two different places? Well, it's, it's always amazing to me the, the difference in, uh, I don't know, perspective um, that the students have from the first day of cruise compared to the last day of cruise. So they walk on board for this this C term, um, and even if they are upper class students, I mean they, it's it's basically starting fresh. They've they've done their freshman cruise, they've done their their cadet co op, cadet shipping um, experience, but then from that cadet shipping experience to cruise is an entire school year, and they kind of get out of that that mode, that watch standing seafaring mode, even though they're down here on the ship doing maintenance and other things. So there's a confidence issue. And the first person that, because we have, we put upper class deck students on the helm coming out of Castine. And that first one on the helm is sweating and shaking. <laughs> and even though they've done this before and they, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's an experience for them. And, and uh, then as, as we kind of get into a routine, get into a, a rhythm, um, you really start to see 
them remember things and, and incorporate them into their watch routines. And, and we've been very fortunate that we've had some fantastic um, mentors that we hire as temporary crew um, that really help bring them along. You know, these are professional mariners that have spent decades at sea that are now joining us for this couple of months. And uh, they, you know, the students get a ton out of it because it's not their professors that they see in the classroom. It's, it's other people who have stories to tell and experiences to share. So um, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, they just, they get all that hands-on experience. They get to take whatever they had in the classroom all year long and, and put it into, uh, put it into practice. So it's fun. With all these years of, of experience and perspective, you, you, you live in Castine. You've been there for where the academy is. For those of you who don't know what, what I'm saying, you live in the town that the school is in. Yes. You, I mean, yeah. even when you were a merchant mariner, you came back all the time. Yes. What, what would you say to people who are unfamiliar with a merchant marine academy education? How would you, how would you sell it? Well, I mean, first of all, Maine Maritime is kind of unique in that it's at the absolute end of the road. You you don't <laughs> drive you don't drive through Castine. Uh, you drive to it. If you drive through it, you get wet because you're down at the end of a peninsula and you're in the water. So you'll um, hit your office. <laughs> that's right. You'll hit my office. But I'm, you know, I'm three quarters of a mile from from my office. My house is three quarters of a mile from my office. And, uh, you know, most days in the good weather, I ride my bike to work. Um, so it's that that end of the road feel is you you, you really come here on purpose. It's not, I mean, it is like regular college in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it's, it's not, it's, there is a lot more uh, hands-on learning, a lot more experiential stuff because we, you know, the, the academy has 60 vessels um, ranging from, you know, 14 foot sailboats all the way up to, uh, you know, 85 foot tug, a, a 87 foot schooner and a 500 foot training ship. Um, so the training ship is actually owned by the federal government, but it's, you know, Department of Transportation, but it is, you know, on long-term loan uh, to Maine Maritime and we, we operate it. Um, so you've got all of this stuff at the bottom of the hill that students can just hop on board and take off. I mean, the ship handling class, you, you sit in a classroom for an hour or two a week and you talk about how weather affects ships and how, you know, propulsion, what you want to do and how the pivot point shifts when you, you know, accelerate and everything else. And then you go down to the bottom of the hill for your two hour lab and you hop on board a boat and you see how it all works. So, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. Power equipment lab. Okay. So what is power equipment? Well, it's everything. It's refrigeration. It's, you know, uh, air compressors. So you learn about this stuff in the classroom and then you come down to the training ship and you tear apart an air compressor and you put it back together and you see how it works. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Remember the, my first engine um, watch on cruise, uh, Scully, I, I don't remember what Scully's real name was. Um, Ulrich. Ulrich, yeah. Char Charlie I, Ulrich. I, I was sweating bullets. My first, my first two watches, my deck watch and my engine watch, I was just terrified. And I'm sure you probably look at them when you come on the bridge. First, they're terrified because you're the captain, which is still hysterical to me. And then second of all, they're terrified because it's their first watch. And I remember he just leaned down to me and he said, hey, guess what? Nobody died. 
right? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, you know. And for for a lot of young people, they've never really had an opportunity to look back and say, "I did something big. I did something scary." And guess what? I did it. And yeah. I I love the fact that that that's something that happens pretty often at Maine Maritime Academy. Yeah, I mean, you've got a hundred and something eighteen year old college freshmen at the end of their freshman year who up on board a 500 foot ship and go to Europe <laughs> and they're running the ship. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Hey, speaking of the ship, so uh, you're getting a new one, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, the expected delivery is fall of 24. So we've got not too much longer um, with this ship, less than two years. Um, these are the, they're, they're building five of them. We get the third of five. Uh, these are purpose-built training ships. They're a little bit bigger. Um, they can, if we have a capacity of 300 students on here, 298. Um, capacity on the new ships is 700. So we can take a lot more people, a lot more space. Um, they are very capable vessels that are being built in Philadelphia. The first one is going to New York Maritime and they get their ship um, this spring. So they'll get it early spring, early summer. Um, and then Mass gets the second, we get the third. Why don't we get so, the third? What's up with well, that? Well, I like, I like the third because that means they got all the bugs out in the first two and we, we're <laughs> going to get a better ship. But um, we get the third based on age of their current training ships. So both SUNY, uh, State of New York um, Maritime Academy, and Mass Maritime have... 1960s vintage steamships as their training ship. Um, and they, they're getting to the point where they're gonna not pass class inspections and things like that because they just can't, they can't maintain those old steam plants. They, they've sunk enough money into it where they're upgraded and, and um, you know, about as well as they can be. Uh, so our, this ship was built in 1990, it's a motor ship. So, um, you know, they, they wanted to get the steamships out of the fleet and get them their new ships before they, they started to come to us. So we get number three, Texas gets number four, and California gets number five. And California actually has a sister ship to this one. So, um, they, you know, they're similar, similar age, but uh, not in as good shape because we do a better job maintaining. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Like all things. So I, I do a lot of demographic studies as part of you know economic work, and I'll, I'll say this much: there's a lot of negative flack that goes to all younger generations, and I don't know if all of it is necessarily well deserved. So there are ten thousand subscribers to this podcast regularly, about fifty thousand people who will listen to it. The lion's share of them are very young, so they're younger than thirty. Many of them believe it or not, go to the academy. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, something that I would, uh, or went there, as somebody who teaches these young people, what makes you excited? You know, what, what do you, when you see them every day and on the ship, rather than all the people who would be probably uh, tempted to talk about how awful this new generation is, what encourages you about the next generation of Mariners? What encourages you about the next generation of, of academy graduates? You have you have young you have a young very capable, very proud of your young daughter and your son. You know what what is it about this next generation that excites you that we see coming out of these schools? Well, I I think just the the uh, the increase in, in the pace of technology that they have to stay current with 
Um, you know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, I'm a paper chart, um, you know, pair dividers guy. And they're phasing paper charts out. So in five years, we won't even have paper charts to plot on. It'll all be electronic. So they are far more equipped to, to work with that um, just because of how they grew up than, than we are. You know, I, I can certainly stay current. And I'm fairly good with technology. I worked on very technologically advanced ships for a long year, a lot of years. But, um, you know, they, they have seen the evolution of technology their entire lives and for for us, that tech, that evolution didn't start till we were in our 20s or maybe even 30s. Um, you know, we were we were largely the same. You know, GPS came along in our late teens, early 20s, but really matured, exploded, and became part of our everyday lives when we were already, you know, fairly mature. So that's what's exciting to me is when they find something buried in a menu somewhere that I've been looking for for. 20 minutes and they're like here it is Kim well great thanks <laughs> so, <laughs> but, <laughs> so and, and those aha moments that they have like you know they're they're struggling with a with a concept or a you know they're for for me a lot of it is because texting and and text based messaging is the norm you know that the thumbs are are strong as hell but the being able to talk on the radio is is a big deal for us it was not that bad i mean some people still had mic fright and still you know when you grab that microphone you put it in front of your face and you're about to talk to another ship it's a little unnerving but for them it's you know it's panic inducing because they don't they talk to each other face to face a little bit but they don't call each other they don't talk on the phone they don't they're not used to that that sort of communication and when you have to call another vessel on the radio and somebody actually gets through it and relays all the information they want to relay and then you see that ah, that big decompressing sigh after they hang the mic back up on the hook you're like yep guess what that's the first of many that you're going to have to make in your lifetime so did you feel uh, like when we were young it was a hard school to get into it sometimes it, it's kind of ebbed and flowed based on how popular the industry was and, and what the, the status of jobs were at the time. I mean, there were some times when shipping was not good and the job placement was not great, that there was a little bit of a easing off of the standards just to try and attract people and keep the, keep the enrollment numbers up. And then there were times where it was extremely competitive because everybody wanted to, you know, walk out of college into a six-figure job, which for most of the 2000s and early 2010s was the case. Um, you could easily walk out of here into a six-figure job. Um, you know, I, I don't think ever in my lifetime will I make as much as I did in 2014. I mean, that was, that was like the year for me. Um, it was, I, I was just crushing it, flying all over the world business class upstairs on the A380 from Dubai to Seoul and, you know, just throwing money at me, bonuses left and right, because business was booming. That was the, the peak of the oil boom. Um, and then 2015, everything kind of came to a screeching halt in the oil industry. So, um, you know, it's, uh, so I don't know that the standards are for admitting people are, are consistently 
more difficult at times than others. I think it just kind of ebbs and flows based on the popularity of the school and how well the admissions folks do in selling the programs. I'm, I'm generally told by people that I, I have a lot of friends that look at my quote unquote success and say, you know, I've got a young man, I've got a young woman who I think should go to that school. It'll set him straight. So first of all, no school's ever going to set anybody straight. No. It didn't set me straight. It didn't set a lot of my friends straight. All right. I was a screw up when I walked in. I was a screw up when I got out. Um, it might have made me a better criminal, frankly. But <laughs> that um, what 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 I say to them is it's actually I'm shocked at how difficult academically it is to get in now. Um, it's it's not as easy, in my opinion, as it was to get in then. I think there's a much higher expectation academically than there was. It's not people forget it is an engineering school. It is a technical it is. school. So. Um, yep. Even if you're going for logistics management, there, there's an expectation of a certain intellectual curiosity and intellectual rigor that a lot of people simply don't have. And yeah. it, it will be a challenge. Yeah, and you know, there is a, there's not a high attrition rate, but I think there are a lot of people who get here and are just, you know, a little bit over their, over their heads. It's not yeah. what they were expecting. You know, it's a, most majors, you're carrying 18 credits a semester. Yep. Um, it's and that's not an easy course load. That's, that's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Well, Gordo, it's time for me to ask everyone's favorite part of the podcast, which is three questions that have nothing to do with the podcast. So they're fun, and I, I think I know the first one. I might. Okay. Not, but what was the first car you ever had? Uh, I bought in 1987 a 1961 Buick Electra four door yes. black. Yes. And I still have it. Yes, you do. It's in your garage in Castine, isn't it? It is. I yep. love that car so much. It's like an aircraft carrier. It's <laughs> it absolutely is. gigantic. Yes. Comfortably sleep six. <laughs> my friend Chris Savoy's dad had a convertible one. And I I think it was I don't think it was a 61 though. It might have been a little later. But I love that car. Yeah. I'm so happy you still have it. So that's question number one. Question number two, the first job you had that paid you an actual like paycheck couldn't have been babysitting my cousins what was it okay so i was 14 years old and there was a christmas tree farm right across the street from my house and um, i went over and asked the christmas tree farm guy if he needed any help and he said sure so planting pruning fertilizing and cutting christmas trees was my very first job that got a paycheck what they pay you an hour do you remember uh 335 an hour i think yeah yeah. in 1984 in vermont yeah. in vermont yeah my, my daughter works at the public library and uh, i think she makes like 11.50 an hour to put books away yeah it's madness yeah all right third question um if time and space and the laws of physics did not apply and uncle pete could wave a magic wand and give you any job period what would be your dream job other than being retired, um, yeah. <laughs> I think this would probably be it. I mean, this was this is a fantastic job. I love this job. I I, I really do. I like interacting with the students every day. I just I, I enjoy it. So there's a lot of things that I kind of pull my hair out about just dealing with uh, non mariners that don't understand what we do. Um, but still work at the Maritime Academy because it is a university. So you have yeah. academic people and you have, you know, people who haven't ever gone to sea, but 
that's a bit of a struggle sometimes, but it's, it's a pretty cool job, especially that when we throw off the lines and head out there, that's the best day of my year. I really thought that the earth was moving away from us, not the other way around. <laughs> I really wish that I, I could go back in time like I could go into a, a young person's body and be 18, so I could go on a cruise with you and just make your life miserable. Yes. I, I could be the one midshipman that made you want to kick me over the side uh, out into the Atlantic, but I, I don't think you're too patient. I don't think it's possible. Uh, there was a period of time when both you and Nate Gandy were working at the same time, right? Where you were both. Yes. Yeah. Very briefly so, when I first started. Yep. So there was a period of time when when our friend Nate was the commandant of midshipman and you were the master of the training vessel. And that was the, the, um, the symbol of end times, as far as I was concerned. When I can see that. You, the two of you were, were pretty much controlling. And I said, if anyone has a young person in their life that they, they need to educate, this is the time to send them to this school because it will never be better. <laughs> two people, I have supreme faith in running everything. Um, Gordo, I've, I've known you since I was 18. And I, I've been at your wedding. I've seen your kids since they were little. I, I love your wife. My God, Kathy is the greatest. And uh, to see you go from what was like a, a one of your lowest moments to being there, some of your highest moments, I cannot, I cannot project to you how happy and proud and as if our pride matters to you and, and how happy those of us that went to that school are that you're there and that you're continuing this incredible tradition. Um, we all love you so much and we're so proud of you and can't wait to see what you do there. We hope you never leave as much as you want to retire. So yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being my friend all these years. And thank you hey. so much for keeping these kids safe and teaching them all you teach them. No worries. Thank you. And uh, you know, the, the cool thing for me this year is going to be having my son on board cruise with me. So oh wow. That should be a reality show. Yeah, really should. Uh, so Bess is, <laughs> Bess is, she's non-reg, right? She's She's she is. She's she's IBL. So she she's doing a co-op this summer. We're not sure where yet, but uh, she's actually in the military, though. She's, she is. She's a Coast Guard reserve. Reserve. Yeah. So uh, that's fascinating. Oh, man. I need video of this summer. All right, Gordo. Thanks for being on the show, man. We're running out of time, but uh, okay. everybody stay. We'll talk soon, pal. Sounds good. Bye, buddy. An open letter to the grizzled veterans of the logistics industry. Hello there, fellow old timer. I hope you can read this without having to adjust too much of the font size. Yes, yes, I know. You're tired of being called old? So am I. Ah, the kids today with their Snapchats, swiping left and swiping right on their lunch breaks. What are we going to do with them? I hate to remind you that there was a time in our careers when we were the young people, as hard as that might be to believe. I remember it well. Back when the news came in a paper, and there were only three channels on the television. Well, we're not here to talk about us. We're here to talk about them. Oh, you know who they are. That's right. Those young people who are flooding into our industry. The young people who know how to code. The young people who actually understand how to use computers in a way that we pretend to. The young people who learned Chinese when they were five years old. They're everywhere, aren't they? You see them in our offices. We actually even have to sell to them. Eh, it's how this industry works. The times they are changing. Well, I think it's up to us to do them a solid. And I've really broken it down to three simple things that we ought to try to do. Number one, 
the young people in this industry certainly love to look at screens. If you need somebody to get a quick message out to someone on the other side of the world, boy, howdy, are they good at it. What we need to do is to get them out with us on our face-to-face sales calls, get them engaged in quarterly business reviews, and to hand the baton to them when it comes time to interact with carriers, government agencies, and clients. It's hard for many of them to engage face-to-face and one-on-one with other human beings. It really isn't their fault. They haven't had much opportunity to do it. So much of their life, academic and otherwise, has been done through those screens. Let's give them opportunities just like other people gave us. Number two, so many people in this industry have never walked the decks of a cargo vessel. They've never seen the inside of a warehouse. They've never actually seen an aircraft being loaded. (gasps) Well, who showed you? Somebody older than you. So I think it's time that we spent a little time showing them the ropes, calling up our friends at carriers, asking them at the port level if maybe they could give us a tour and bring these folks along with us. Imagine how great it would be for them to take the academic and make it real. Number three, and this is going to be a tough one, we've got to take them with us when it comes time to network. Now, I know, I know. We would prefer to go to all these luncheons, all these dinners, and all these happy hours and hang out with our friends. But someone down the line took us. I can remember going to connect dinners and going to connect Christmas parties with my old mentors and somebody buying me a beer and introducing me to people hoping I wouldn't embarrass them. I assure you, I did. Well, now it's our turn to bring these young people out into the world to share our connections. There's someone in your life that gave you your first shot. I remember who it was that gave mine. Maybe you can be the person that gives them theirs. Maybe you can be the person that gives hundreds of people theirs. It's an incredibly rewarding feeling. So what do you say, old timer? How about we share the wealth? It wouldn't be a bad way to go out, don't you think? If you need me, you can find me on MySpace. All right. Take care and best regards, fellow old-timer, Pete Mento.